I would like uh, you to find a way somewhere, somehow, to uh, communicate with Mr. George Domenguez. Uh, uh, he lost the mother this week, and she's been uh, departed from this life to be with the Lord. So if you please, if you can reach him in one way or the other, please do so. Let's pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and your mercy. We are thankful that we serve a living God, an awesome God. Father, we have gathered together this morning in obedience to your instruction that we should do so, especially as we see the evil days draw near. We know we are in tumultuous times, but we also understand that underneath are the everlasting arm that sustains us. For this reason, we consider it a great privilege that we can assemble in order to be encouraged through your word. We also recognize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move now to 1 Corinthians Chapter nine, uh, 10, verses 5 through 13. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. It is, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it, it is written. The people sat down to eat and, and drink and got up to indulge in pagan reverie. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not uh, taste the Lord as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And, and do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, in our introduction of the section of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, that is concerned with learning from Israel's experience during the Exodus, we indicated that there are two subsections that capture the overall theme of Israel's experience in the desert. We have considered the first uh, subsection that covers the shared 
blessing of Israel under the leadership of Moses described in verses 1 through 4. Recall though that the message of that section that applies to us is this. You should honor the right spiritual leadership, enjoy God's blessings through Jesus Christ. Now in this second subsection, we are concerned with God's judgment on many Israelites as given in verses 5 through 13. Now the general message though of the Holy Spirit in this section is that God killed some Israelites that enjoy his blessings in the desert for displeasing him, which deaths serves as an example and a warning against displeasing God. Now based on this general message, we drive now the specific message of the Holy Spirit to us as believers in Christ today. A message then of the Holy Spirit that he wants me to convey to you is this. Enjoyment of God's blessing under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him. Again, enjoyment of God's blessing under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him. Now a person may wonder how we mentioned the enjoyment of God's blessings as related to the message of this subsection of 1 Corinthians 10 verses 5 through 13. Since there is nothing said in it that has anything to do with blessing. Now on the surface reading of the subsection, it appears to have nothing, that it has nothing to do with blessing. But the context enables us to recognize that there is a link between this section and the blessing of the previous section. Now the link between this section and the previous subsection that enables us to reference the concept of blessing is the very first word of the NIV of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. Look at the very first word. That very word is what? Nevertheless. That is a word that is loaded. And we're going to try to expand it. That's just one word. Nevertheless. See the word nevertheless is translated from a Greek particle that generally is an adversative uh, particle that indicates a difference, width, or contrast to what precedes, so that it may be translated with the word but. But. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the particle is used to indicate a transition to something different or to contrast what was stated in previous section. Now recall that in previous section of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 is concerned with blessings of the Lord on the Israelites under the great 
leadership of Moses. Now in effect, that section shows to us an aspect of God's character of blessing his people. That is, his love shown in a positive manner. But beginning in verse 5, we are introduced to another aspect of God's character in dealing with the Israelites that is the opposite of what transpired in the preceding section. Now, God's love was evident in blessing, but His justice is evident in the concept of judgment introduced beginning in verse 5. Thus then, the Greek word translated nevertheless in NRV contrasts blessings of the previous section with the judgment of the present verse. Furthermore, it contrasts the concept of all Israelites enjoying God's blessings to most Israelites coming under his judgment. Now that aside, the Holy Spirit then wants us to see how God will go from blessing to judgment. Implying that God's blessing does not shield anyone from his judgment when one that is blessed acts contrary to his requirement. Now this being the case, there is a link between blessing and judgment in a passage. The idea that is being linked is that although God blesses his own, but that such blessing will not shield the believer from his judgment when necessary. Now King David is a good illustration of this truth. He was blessed of the Lord in that the Lord appointed him king of Israel and showered him with blessings of military victories over the enemies of Israel. But when the king, because of his blessing of kingship, committed adultery and murder, the Lord was displeased with him, as stated in Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. Second Samuel chapter 11 verse 27. Now I say that he David fell because of the blessings of kingship. In other words this, the event of chapter 11 would not have occurred what had it not been that he had that great privilege of being a king. So that he can say, go get me that woman. And everyone do what he said. Now, we read those things. Oh yeah. He misuses power. Well, he misuses blessing. Do we do the same thing today? Absolutely we do. If 
you're supposed to be in church, and you're at the golf, co- uh, golf court now, at this point, or you're in some other game, or some other entertainment, because you can afford to do that. What you, how can you not see the relationship between what you're doing and what David did? Something. He's using the blessing in the wrong way. And that's what most, many of us as Christians do. Yeah, you can do that. No one says you cannot do that. God has given you the means to do so. But the issue is, are you misusing his blessing? And that's why I want to emphasize that. That had David not been a king, this thing would not have happened. So that's why I said, he misused the blessing the Lord rained upon him. As many, many in this country are doing. So, here is what we are developing. Look at it. Second, uh, Samuel eleven twenty-seven says, After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife, and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That's a great king. One after God's own heart. God says that. That David was a man after his own heart. But look at what he said. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Consequently, God visited him with a series of judgments that involved the death of his children and the rape of his daughter and his concubines. Now, Hezekiah is another king of Israel that proves a point. He was certainly blessed of the Lord, as indicated by, by him being successful in his endeavors, as stated in Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 30. Second Chronicles. Chapter 32, verse 30. And hold on to that chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 30 reads, It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he undertook. That's a blessing. He succeeded in everything he undertook. That, my friend, is a blessing. However, the blessing he enjoyed did not keep him from judgment. When he became arrogant, which is another thing we all have to be very content with, we are all constantly facing the temptation of being arrogant because of one thing or the other. So when Hezekiah became arrogant, then something happened. As we read in, still in Second Chronicles chapter 32, look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. It reads, But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. 
So we should not really, uh, shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised that God's blessings does not shield us from his judgment when we live in disobedience. As this concept was clearly conveyed to Israel through Moses, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 27 through 28 it is the blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today that's the blessing then look at this because if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods, which you have not known. So, anyway, the point is that the word nevertheless of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5 indicates that the verse then is linked to the concept of blessing introduced in the preceding section. Therefore, we are correct then in presenting the message of First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through 13 in the way that links the concept of blessing of the previous section to judgment of our present section. So again, the message of this section that we are considering is this, that enjoyment of God's blessing under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him. Now we presented the message this way primarily because of God's action of killing some of the Israelites that enjoyed the blessings of the preceding section as we read in the sentence of 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 5. Again, where we're starting. It is, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, a more literal reading of the Greek is really, God not pleased with the most of them. For they were struck down in the wilderness. For they were struck down in the wilderness. Now the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul reveals to us that the death of most of the Israelites in the desert was because they displeased the Lord as in that sentence God was not pleased with most of them. Now the word pleased is translated from a Greek word that may mean to be well Please, to be well pleased, as the word is used to describe the attitude of God the Father towards God the Son during the transfiguration experience of the Lord Jesus Christ, as stated in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 17. Verse 5. It is. While he was still speaking. A bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said. This is my son. Whom I love. With him. I am well pleased. Listening. To him. Now the word can mean to prefer, as Apostle Paul uses it to express his preference in relationship to being with the Lord than to be on this planet, as we read in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eight. Second Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 reads, We are confident, I say, and will prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That will prefer is the Greek word udekeo that is translated uh, please in the passage we are studying. Now the, the Greek word may mean to take the light, to take the light as Apostle Paul also used the word to describe his attitude towards the Thessalonians as we read in First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter two verse eight. First Thessalonians chapter two verse eight reads We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our life as well. Because you have become so dear to us. Here the word is roughly delighted. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it is in the sense to take the light. To take the light. That is, to take a high degree of pleasure in someone that the word is used. Now since our word is used with the negative, not in the Greek, then we are informed of God's displeasure with most of the Israelites, as in the sentence, God was not pleased with most of them. Now it is interesting uh, to note that it is with majority of the Israelites that the of the Exodus generation of certain age that displeased the Lord. Not all of them, but most of them of certain age. Now you see, the word most, in the phrase most of them, is translated from a Greek word that may mean many, much, 
But here it has a sense of majority. The fact that the majority of the Israelites displeased the Lord should cause us, each and every one of us, to be careful about following the crowd. Now, as I've stated several times, it is rare for the majority to be right in things that please God. Very rare. And I'm even talking about Christians. Very rare. You have to understand that. That's just the way the fallen human nature has uh, caused things to be for us. And we don't, don't also don't be discouraged if you seem to be such a small minority. The rest of them are talking something else. And you're the only one holding to some truth. It shouldn't surprise you. All I have to say is, look at the flood. A whole world. How many people will say? Eight. That tells you something. I'm talking about Christians. Now we have a lot of Christians. And they, you know, not say they're not saved. But they, when it really comes to being devoted to the Lord, very few are really un, uh, devoted. I mean, truly devoted. They can talk about it. But when it comes to action, you find very few people are truly devoted to the Lord. That's what you should expect. But what we're studying here, many, most of them, they all, most of them believe us. Of course, what we should understand is that it's often because that we do not want to be persecuted, that we are willing to go along with what we know to be contrary to the truth of God's word. However, we should recognize that God is displeased with those who move away from the truth because of persecution. As that is part of what the human author of Hebrews stated about God's displeasure towards certain kind of believers in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 reads, But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. So anyway, the point is that the phrase of 1 Corinthians 10 5, most of them should cause us to be careful to recognize that quite often the majority is wrong regarding things that please God. I'm talking about, again, like I say, no, we're not just talking about unbelievers, even believers. Majority of time. That's what you have to contend with. Now, be that as it may, the Holy Spirit tells us through Apostle Paul that the Lord was not pleased with majority of the Israelites of Exodus generation. 
The question of course will normally uh, will naturally be how do we know that the law was not pleased with majority of the Israelites? Now this question is important because of because many of us assume that because nothing has happened to us when we displease God that that means he's not displeased with us when that's really not the case. Thus, it is important to have an indicator to us that, uh, that God is not pleased with us. We should have that kind of indicator. You see, it is perhaps easier for us to recognize when God is pleased with us than when He's not. It's easier. How you may say, well, I say this because we often may associate his goodness to us as an evidence of his being pleased with us. It is because of this concept that Joshua and Caleb could speak uh, after the spies sent to explore the land of Canaan gave discouraging message or report to Israel they spoke to assure them that they could defeat the enemies as sign of God being pleased with them. As in Numbers chapter 14 verse 8. Numbers Chapter 14, verse 8. Numbers chapter 14, verse 8 reads, If the Lord is pleased with us, he puts us a condition, because what that means, he will lead us into that land. In other words, he's saying, if God does this, if he's pleased, bearing in mind, he understood that God's pleasure is revealed in blessing. That's why he said, he will lead us into, the, uh, into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Now following this understanding, that God's goodness to us may reveal he is pleased with us. The psalmist stated that because his enemies did not defeat him in battle. That that proves God is pleased with him as we read in Psalm 41 verse 11. Psalm 41 verse 11. Psalm 41 verse 11 reads, I know that you are pleased with me. See, that's the psalmist declaring. He said, I know that you are pleased with me. How does he know? Look at what he says. For my enemy does not triumph over me. So you see, it's easier when we're blessed to say, yes, God is pleased with me. In addition to seeing God's goodness to us as evidence of his being pleased with us, the Holy Spirit tells us that God answers our prayers when He is pleased with us. According to 
1 John chapter 3 verse 22 1 John First John chapter 3 verse 22 It is and receive from him anything we ask Yes there is it because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. So when we please him, there's no doubt, he answers a prayer. There's no doubt about that. So the point we really want to stress is that when we observe God's goodness to us, we are, we are more prone to think that he is pleased with us. Now this concept is again demonstrated in Moses' prayer to the Lord and the, and the Lord's response to it, as recorded in Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 17. Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 17. Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 17. It is, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I, I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from the, here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. Now that's an important question that Moses posed to the Lord. That many of us Christians probably don't think about that. And that is, are you conscious of being different from your contemporaries who are not believers? Are you conscious that there is something that distinguishes you from those who are your contemporaries similar to what we study in what's called dare to be different. So that's what he's saying. There has to be something and we all need to be thinking that way. Is there something that distinguishes me from my contemporary who is not a believer? That's why he says, what else would, will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you ask because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Now that's God saying to Moses, I am pleased with you. So, for that reason, 
he's going to do what Moses asked. So, Moses really presented two indicators of God being pleased with him and Israel. The first, of course, was for the Lord to teach him his ways. The second is accompanying Israel in his travels that involves helping it to defeat its enemies. So the Lord promised to do what Moses requested. However, we should be careful then to recognize that although the Lord may show us his goodness, that that will not shield us from judgment, as we have already stated. God showed Moses that he was pleased with him. Because of the good things that he continued to do for Israel through Moses. But that did not keep Moses or keep the Lord from punishing Moses. In the sense that he did not allow him to enter Canaan. As he stated in his farewell speech or address to Israel. According to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37 reads, Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it either. So Moses' experience should caution us not to use God's goodness to assume He is completely pleased with us. Since He may be showing us His goodness in keeping with his plan. And that aside, it is easier for us to see how God's goodness as evidence of pleasing him, but we are slow in seeing his displeasure when things do not go well with us. We are very slow about coming to that conclusion. So it is, so we recognize that when things do not go well with us, it is probably because God is displeased with us that the Holy Spirit gave us the undeniable evidence of God's displeasure with majority of the Israelites of the Exodus generation in what the Apostle Paul wrote in the passage we are studying in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5 when he says again their bodies were scattered over the desert. That's the indicator of God's displeasure. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now the translators of the NIV omitted in their translation a Greek conjunction that is part of the last clause of First Corinthians 10 verse 5 in the original. Now, in the original Hebrew text. Now, the Greek conjunction 
use is one that generally indicates a causal relation between two statements whereby the second statement gives a reason for or explains the first. And so it's to be translated for in our English versions as it is done in many English versions of this uh, verse that we're considering. In many English versions, as I the NIV begin the, uh, that uh, sentence with the word for. for. Now that notwithstanding, it's really difficult to see how the second clause, their bodies were scattered over the desert, gives the reason or cause of the first clause that said God was not pleased with most of them. Now if anything, the reverse really is the case. In effect, the second sentence gives the result of the first clause. That's the way you see it more. It gives results. This being the case, the Greek conjunction should be translated as that which gives self-evident conclusion drawn from the first clause. Thus, it is better to translate the Greek conjunction using the word so or then. Now, for many times, uh, some of you say, okay, if it's all, if it's all that, why didn't the, the translators do that? Well, you have to remember that sometimes most of these translators, they have their own uh, particular interpretation, and that's what they may reflect in the, inter- in the translation. But what I'm saying to you, it's something you can, we can't deny uh, that we should or it could decide that this second sentence should begin with the word so or then. The translators of the New Century Version or the contemporary English, English Version reflected this interpretation because they use the meaning so. So also does the today's English version or the International Standard Version since they began their translation with the word so and, and so to begin so that it's, you see and so their bodies were scattered and so. So that is they're using some kind of uh, translation that their interpretation, of course, agrees with what we have just explained. Now, it is true, it is possible to understand the meaning for as providing an explanation to the first clause, but it makes for a far better sense that the second clause gives the results of God's displeasure with the Israelites of the time of Exodus. Now all the same, the fact is that because God's displeasure with the majority of the Israelites of Exodus generation, because of that, he killed them in the desert as in the clause, their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now the word bodies is not 
explicitly used in the Greek text. Instead, the expression bodies were scattered is translated from a Greek uh, word that outside the New Testament means to spread out or to cover. But the word appears only once in the Greek New Testament as a figurative usage of the meaning of to spread out. So, means to cause the deaths of a number of persons with the implication of bodies spread out over an area, hence the Greek really means to kill or to lay down. Now the sense of the word in our passage is to be strewn, to be strewn. That is, to be or become spread by scattering. Probably with dead bodies understood as the object of scattering. It is because of this sense of our Greek word as some of our English versions use the word bodies in their translation. Whereas others simply translated uh, the word using the meaning to kill or to lay down. I mean to lay low. Now this meaning is reflected in such English versions as the Common English Bible that use the expression struck down, struck down. Instead of what you have in the NIV, their bodies were scattered. They just say struck down. Anyway, the Greek used a passive voice without specifying who killed the Israelites in the desert. By the Old Testament scripture, it's clear that it is God who killed the Israelites in the desert or in the wilderness. So anyway, the clause of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5, their bodies were scattered over the desert, summarized God's judgment on the Israelites in the desert for not believing him, despite the many miracles they witnessed. As we read in Numbers chapter 14, Verses 11 through 12. Numbers. Numbers. Chapter 14. Verses 11 through 12. It is. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them. I see what the Lord is asking. They were all in Egypt. They saw him bring the ten plagues. And then, they saw him divide the Red Sea. And they all walked through on a dry land. And in spite of all that, they kept going back to their way of living, contrary to God's instruction. Now again, these are things that we, we say, yeah, if it's me and I saw uh, the Red Sea divide, I'll you know, follow the Lord, I'll do whatever he says. Really? 
you know, many of us have experienced his goodness in ways we can't explain. Yet at the slightest thing, we forget it and get distracted and do something contrary to his will. But that's what God is saying to Israel. I mean, see, in spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them, then he said, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Now, that's what God has said to Moses. All because of what was going on with the Israelites. They have enjoyed God's blessings of tremendous proportion. They have seen him providing ways that is unbelievable. They have seen his deliverance in a way unbelievable. And yet, they decide not to be devoted to him. And you can see the, if we say the heart of God. For somebody that, for if you think about yourself, can you imagine you have shown your goodness, kindness, you have bent backwards to somebody to help him or her. And they turn around and stab you at the back. That's kind of thing. You've bent backwards. To help. Instead of appreciating you, they despise you. So, if you think about that, that's, you know, we are imperfect human beings, but can you think about the perfect God? That He will do such great things to show these people, you are my, my treasure people. You, are, you have I chosen from all the past people of the world. I've made you mine. In a very unique way. I have shown you this by the things I did. And yet, they will not be devoted to him. So that's what the Lord says. So now, remember, here he threatened judgment. Go back and look at the passage I just read. He says, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. As a threat God has made. Because Israel will not pay attention to him. Now the threat of judgment by date of the Israelites, of the Exodus generation by the Lord, is further elaborated. Still, in Numbers 14, look at verses 28 through 35. Numbers chapter 14, verses 28 through 35. It reads, So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I had you say. <laughs> Usually, as I've said many times, you hear people say, Well, I'm thinking about my children. Really? I mean, that's what people say. Well, if this happens, what's going to happen to our children? That's what Israel will say. Oh, you know, what's going to happen to our children? 
If we go into this place to go to war, they kill us. What happened to our children? And as I've always, from our studies in the past, I've said this. If you're truly concerned about your children, what you should be concerned is your spiritual life. Because if you please the Lord, your children will get the blessing from you pleasing the Lord. In other words, it's a blessing extended to them, not because of themselves. Because that's God's promise. That's, you know, if, for example, if, if you are one that follow him, you say, God is your refuge, a fortress for you. That he will extend to your children. So, here it says, the children in, that they are talking about. So he said, I will do you the very things I had you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make you a home. Except Caleb, son of Jephunets and Joshua, son of Nun. Now, this look verse that one say, As for your children, that you said will be taken as plunder. Now, God said, Yeah, you are talking about your children. See what will happen. He said, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. That's what God is telling them. But your bodies will fall in this desert. That's a, that's a, a threat carried out. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years. Look at the next thing there. That's verbal phrase. Suffering for your unfaithfulness. And I can't say this enough. When I say, if you're concerned about your children, you should be more concerned about your spiritual life. Because here is the thing, whether people want to accept it or not. When you ignore God, when a, a group of people, when a generation, when they ignore God and do things that are contrary to the scripture, guess who is going to suffer? Their children. That's what God says. That's why we have here, say, suffering for your unfaithfulness. In other words, your children will suffer. So if you are concerned about your children, be faithful to the Lord so that your children do not suffer. He said, until the last of your bodies lies in the desert for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Fellow believer, if that doesn't scare you, it scares me. Look at what God says. To know what it is to have me against you. I don't want to be anywhere near that. I hope you don't. That's what God says. To know what it is to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will surely do these things to this whole wicked 
community and has banded, I mean, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the desert, in this desert. Here, they will die. Now, many of those people see God saying, This is it. This is my threat, and I'm going to carry it out. Because you ignored me. Because you wouldn't believe my promise. I've given you a promise. You don't want to believe it. See, for that reason, you're not going to enjoy it. All of you, 20 years old and more, you're going to die in the desert. Every one of you. Not one of you will enter except those two men. Joshua and Caleb. That's it. The rest will die. They won't enter the land promised. That's a threat the Lord made. And the Lord definitely carried out the threat of judgment that he mentioned uh, here in uh, Numbers. Since all the Israelites of military age died in the desert, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 2 verses 15 through 18 it is the Lord's hand was against them them the Israelites until he had completely eliminated them from the camp Now, when the last of these fighting men among the people had died, the Lord said to me, that's to Moses, Today you are to pass by the region of Moab at Ar. So here is a testimony that God carried out what he threatened them. Because the, the history of the rest of the uh, book of the Torah prove that. So the fact remains that all the Israelites who were 20 years old, except Joshua and Caleb, died in the desert without getting to the promised land. Now this fact should not be misunderstood to mean that they were lost eternally. Now what I'm saying is, they missed out these blessings, didn't mean they were not saved. Or some say, well, they lost their salvation. No, they did not. It's just that they did not receive this blessing that God promised. Now, so, we should not misunderstand it. Since it's how some people, the reason I say that is some people uh, have taken what happened to Israelite as a, a way to say, well, I can lose my salvation. And especially because of what is stated in Jude 5. Jude Jude 5. Now Jude is just well, a book of one chapter and verse 5. But looking at time, I think we will leave it. And after break, we will read it. Jude 5. 